when I came this morning, I was told by Nigel that we had got a proper rostrum that I could use. And when I stood in front of it, it was just the right height for me. And then, just to emphasise it, he raised it. So I've got to lower it in front of everybody. And everybody can say, that's because he's so small, you know. Um, so, right. To those who are visiting this morning, we uh, give you again a very warm welcome. We as a church have been working through Galatians and uh, we've come now to chapter 5. So if you'd like to turn to chapter 5, um, I'm going to be uh, reading from this. Can we have it up first? Right. Uh, it's Galatians 5 uh, and it's uh, the first um, uh, 15 verses. Uh, so, and it's headed up in my Bible, I don't know what you've got in your Bible, certainly headed up there because I've copied it up there, freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen to that? Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Let me know when I get to the end of that, will you? Um, eh? Oh, right. Um, well, I've lost myself now. <laughs> yeah, please. Works with a whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. If you're not quite sure what that means, ask Rupert, he will explain it to you in detail afterwards. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's a little word for, for, the, for general church business meetings. Okay. Not ours, you understand, because we only have one a year. Right, Freedom! Freedom! The concept that has driven people almost from the beginning of time. And there you've got the picture. Uh, what's it of? 
French Revolution, the start of the French Revolution, liberty, fraternity, equality was the cry of the French Revolution. They wanted freedom. I'm going to have to blank that out because some of you might get just a little bit carried away by that. Um, <laughs> I think you need to have a word with her later on. The serpent, you know, intimated to Eve that she wasn't truly free in living in paradise because she had eat, hadn't eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're not really free. Have you been denied something? That's what lack of freedom did for her. Since that day, when sin entered the world, there has been totally opposing forces to oppress and rule or to be oppressed and ruled over. For the, the oppressed, this gives rise for the hope of freedom. Adam and Eve, you see, forgot that or hadn't realized that freedom without relationship is illusory. Sometimes you long to be free of a marriage or long to be free from work. But actually, in itself, it doesn't actually perform well in well. It's illusory. It doesn't really exist. Jesus actually graphically uh, illustrated this in the parable of the prodigal son. Although he was living uh, in a home with plenty, this son, we're told, yearned for a life uh, without uh, 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 any restraints. And the, he wanted uh, the, the, the pleasures he found in a newfound friend soon evaporated when his money ran out and he was forced to live in squalor and servitude. Likewise, going back several hundred years, the cries of the Israelites, slaves, at the appointed time reached God's ears and resulted in a dramatic rescue from slavery for his people. And through Moses, he shaped this large family into a nation. If you read Exodus, you will see it beginning to be shaped into a nation. And he gave them laws that would enable them to live together and also in the presence of a holy God. But God, of course, knew that they would continue to sin and through blood sacrifices enabled them to be made clean and acceptable until the next time. When the sacrifices had to be repeated again and again and again and again. The sacrifice they brought cleansed them from their past sin, but was powerless to cleanse them from the future sin. They moved into the promised land, but through disobedience, once in that land, they attracted incursions and wars from the very forces and the very people that they should have cleared out from their land, as God had told them to do. So this went on for uh, several years until they said, we need a king, they cried. That will free us from the enemy hordes. No, it won't, said God. He will only enslave you. We can live with that, the people said, and promptly moaned about it when he did. Because that's what they did. They then enslaved them. They then took money from them. They then took land from them. And in actual fact, these kings subsequently led the nation to split apart into wars that resulted in enslavement, deportation, and oppression. That's what happened. They thought they knew best. God knew different. But God's plan was to provide a way into forgiveness, 
into freedom and ultimately life eternal. So through the prophets, he was preparing for a people, the Gentiles as well as Jews, with whom he would live. But he would live not in a tabernacle or a temple or a cathedral or a church or a chapel or, dare I say it, in a university hall. He would live in the lives of everyone who believed in Jesus, who bore that name of Christian. Your first name, Fleur, Rupert, Maureen, whatever your name is, is what name? What do we call it? Forename is a proper word. Now, what do we call it before? Christian name. Your Christian name. That's what you were as a Christian. You were given a, a new name. So even before the Israelites were taken into captivity, Jeremiah was prophesying about a people freed from the law who would be living witnesses to God. And this is what he wrote. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put their law, my law, into their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man uh, teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and this is it, and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember their sin no more. It's a wonderful promise. Can I just read it again to you? Because I think we need to get it deep into our spirit. This is the covenant I will make. So it's going to be a new covenant, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds, be in here, and write it on their hearts. We'll take it right deep into ourselves. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness, and remember their sins no more. Under this new covenant, there'll be no priests, there'll be no sacrifices, there'll be no sin offerings, no circumcision, no dietary laws. Yes! I've joined Slimming World. I hope you noticed the new Slimmer Me. Please say yes, because I can come off my diet. All right. But um, I'm beginning to find that actually it's beginning to get a bit onerous now because I remember Nigel saying to me when he, he travel you get fruited out on that and you do, you'll be, what should we have? Fruit. What else should we have? Fruit. What else should we have? Fruit. Um, what else should we have? Yogurt. But then what? Fruit. Um, and, and, and actually, it's not like that at all. Morning's very good. But actually, I'm beginning to yearn now for toast and marmalade and cakes and... Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> actually if anybody would like to put me onto the student lunches I'm more than willing to go before the people were to be released from captivity they'd been taken to captivity in Babylon God spoke again this could be a very important thing that they needed to hear through the prophet Ezekiel to repeat and enlarge on these promise and he said this I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you 
from all your impurities and from your idols. What are your idols? What could your idols be? Career, looks, fashion, uh, whatever it is, hobbies. They can become your, 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 your idols. But says God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And this is the next bit. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God was going to do something in us that creates a desire as opposed to an obligation. There's a big difference between a desire and an obligation. I am faithful to Maureen because I desire to be faithful to her. I love living with her because I have a desire, not an obligation. I don't, oh, I've got to go and run now, her indoors. No, no, this is a relationship that we have. And God is encouraging you to have a relationship with him that's not under an obligation. God was going to cleanse his people once and for all and put his spirit in them to guide them and to lead them and to follow him. The law would be fulfilled. Man would be reunited to God in a new covenant relationship. And all this would happen when? Through a child born in poverty, born in a stable. It will be accomplished by that very baby, now a grown man, Jesus, going to a cross to suffer a horrifying death so that you and me could live in freedom and be totally accepted by God. That's our gospel. That's our good news. That's what we believe. That's what God's done for us. He's taken us and given us a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit and a new life in him, a life internal. And we will be live in freedom and we will be accepted by God. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing that we could be accepted by God. So what about today then? Well, Paul calls for the Galatians to be freed from the constraints of the law. Circumcision, he said, when we read that passage, has no value. They cannot be freed from some of the law and still live under other aspects of it. You either take it all or you take none of it. You either take grace or you take law. You can't have your foot in both camps. You can't, you simply can't. Well, I'm going to be free in the spirit, but actually I'm going to be under the constraint. You can't do it, beloved. It's one or the other. Paul is telling us quite clearly. They must be totally free, living in the grace of God. Jesus, by his death, put pay to man's separation from God. Faith in Jesus set them free from the law's demands. Does that make sense? We're free from it. It's been done. It's been accomplished. Let me read a passage uh, from uh, Andrew uh, Wilson. Happen, happen to be reading one of his books. He's coming, as you know, uh, to Shrewsbury. Uh, many of you uh, are, are going to come in here. But let, you, let, let, me, let me just tell you what he says here. He says, 
in Christ, the law is finished. All of it. The ceremonial law no longer marks off the people of God from everyone else because new boundary markers like water baptism and the Holy Spirit have replaced the old ones, which is why the Jewish food and purity laws, not to mention circumcision, were no longer imposed on Gentile disciples. The sacrificial law no longer provides access to God because Christ's sacrifice has secured forgiveness for all who trust in him. More surprisingly, the moral law no longer acts as our final authority on behaviour because we serve in the new life of the Spirit, not under the old written code. In every way imaginable, the era of Torah government is over. Remember Jeremiah's words, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's what that means. That's how it encapsulates it. Paul actually writes like this. He says, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That gives you your scriptural authority for those words that I've just said. By dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So how does this affect us today? What does it mean for us here? Now, I suspect that very few people in this room would be contemplating circumcision. Um, I, can imagine, I can't imagine many of you guys sitting there thinking, would that be a good idea? I wonder if I'll be more holy. Shall I, shall I get it done? Shall I not? Get it? A bit like a tattoo. Shall I have a tattoo? Shall I not have a tattoo? Shall I have my hair cut short? Shall I no. Actually, not many of you will be thinking about that. Or many of you, men and women, will be thinking about putting yourselves under the yoke of the law with all its demands and all its regulations. It, it just wouldn't apply to that. When I was looking at this passage, and I've been looking at it for, for two or three weeks now, I kept thinking, well, actually, we, we, we've been going over this stuff uh, all through this, this, chap, this, this chapter, really, this book. What can we bring that's new? What, what actually would God ha- have me say about this? So what impact could this passage have on members of Gateway Church or indeed any other Christian in 2010? That lets you guys in from the world. See? What impact could it possibly have from you, for you? Now, Paul was a realist. He was a very practical man who wasted few matters, few words on matters inconsequential. He didn't faff around with words. So what might he say to Christians living in the 21st century? Well, for instance, I don't think he, I'm sure he would be, it would be nothing to do with religious observance. But, here's the crux of it, but, he might have a lot to say about how we walk in the freedom of the Spirit. Would you agree with that? He'd have very little to say to us about dietary laws and ceremonial things. He would have very little to say to us about circumcision. But he was talking about freedom in the Spirit, and I think he would have a lot more to say about the freedom that Christ has done. It is for freedom, the first words we read, that Christ 
has set us free. See, he knew that God had much more planned for us than the prophets could only dream of. As they looked through the haze of time, when the prophets were prophesying, some of them five or six, seven hundred years before the birth of Christ, they could see things but couldn't quite visualize it. Just as some of us older guys here could never, ever get our minds around the internet. Some of us still can't. But actually, 20 years ago, we, it wasn't invented. It wasn't there. You couldn't imagine what life was like without the internet. Or life would be like with the internet. God, when he put his spirit on us, was going to speak and act through us. All of us. Not just a selected few prophets. See, in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit of God would come down on selected people at selected times. And, and, and certainly, God never spoke to the church, uh, to, not to the church, to, to the Jews, for something like 450 years before the birth of Christ. Absolute silence. Nobody spoke. Nobody heard from God. But actually, God was going to do a new thing. He was going to put his spirit in us and he was going to act, speak and act through us. Joel uttered these utterly amazing words some 570 years before Christ. A day is coming, he said, when God will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. That's you. That's me. It's now. Here. Today. And every day. Can you hear that? That's you. That's me. That's now. Here. Today. And every day. That's what God has promised. I will pour out my spirit on all People, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your, your young men will see visions. That says there's going to be activity amongst everyone. In fact, in some versions it says your hand, even your servants, even the people that work for you will actually have the spirit of God upon them. Do you feel that? Do you feel the spirit of God upon you? Paul, if he was writing or talking to us today, would not be talking about circumcision or laws or events or festivals or about eating meat or not sitting down with the wrong sort of people or climate change even, I suspect. He wouldn't be mentioning that at all. But instead, he would be asking us how we live in the Spirit. You imagine the Apostle Paul here today. He would be saying, how do you live? How do you work this out? How does it affect your life. So the question for us as a church, for us as individuals, is have you been baptized in the Spirit? Do you speak in tongues to praise God in a language that's not your own? Do you have visions? Do you dream dreams of significance that will build people up and move the church forward? Do you have words of knowledge? Do you pray for the sick? Are you living in the freedom 
of the Spirit. Now they're very significant and powerful words because that applies to us today. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. I'm struggling to say even the world. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. You see, baptism in the Spirit is not an optional add-on. It's the very driving force of our faith and our walk with God. For this reason, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. What was it going to do? It was going to empower them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is our inheritance that God promised us well over two and a half thousand years ago for us to live in and rejoice in and for the world to be amazed by. If you want to see Wrexham or the area that you live in now changed by the gospel, then it starts here with a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. Would you accept that? Would you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you want it? 